and welcome along to A Work in Progress with me, Amy Connolly. This podcast is all about the highs and lows of business and life and everything in between as I chat to different guests each week. This week, I'm joined by Vicky Nataro, MD extraordinaire of VIP Publishing Group. But I think my whole point of writing about not wanting to be a parent was to normalise it. Because I think what a lot of people don't really think about is that it is a decision. It's a choice that you make in your life. It's not something that you have to do. Um, And some people, sadly, that really want to do it can't do it. So I think that was the only area that I wanted to be very careful about, was to not try and upset or offend anybody who was going through any struggles of their own. So, yeah, I'm not a a career bitch and I'm not a a cold, nasty person depriving my parents of grandchildren. It's just the way I am. And my husband thankfully feels the same. Vicky has quite the story to tell and I hope you enjoy. Even though I can't see your lovely face, um, I (laughs) know you from the industry, so it's fine. We'll just have this remote and thankfully we can still do it. Yeah, Um, to be honest, it's it's for the best. We're both uh, (laughs) hair extensionless at the moment, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know it's so grim isn't it you have to get used so to grim. it no. oh my gosh people what? are like oh keep your hair short and I'm like no <laughs> sure, no. honestly no it's it, it just doesn't suit me like I'm I'm there trying to back home and try and get a bit of volume and stuff in it but no I have my hair ordered and everything so roll on salons reopening I'm excited <laughs> Would you say extensions are the thing that you miss the most out of all our beauty people? Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, because I've managed everything else myself. I've done my own kind of gel manicures. I bought the kit um, and my nails are on fleek, if I do say so. <laughs> and I've been like dyeing my eyebrows. And yeah, so I've kind of managed with everything else um, except the the length of my stenos. I've actually bought a clip in. That's how ridiculous I am. Because, you know, when, when socialising comes back now in the next few weeks, um, I didn't want to be baldy. So yeah. I bought a clip in. I actually was <laughs> buying a clip in for doing videos because I was like, yeah, God, I couldn't be seen to be doing a tutorial without my hair. <laughs> exactly. But you just, it's the things you get kind of like addicted to, isn't it? It's good. I know. Um, so now that we got the really essential priority stuff out of the way, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. So obviously um, during this podcast, we like to focus on kind of like the highs and lows and just kind of general stories that everyone has between their careers and life itself etc so obviously yeah. like I'm beginning you were appointed MD of VIP publishing group which is amazing a massive congratulations I know not absolute like recent news you've been there a while but I suppose I'd love to kind of hear about your journey to date because like you've basically featured in you know every publication one could name every publication sorry <laughs> and obviously now you're, you're MD so it doesn't really get much better than that so how yeah, it's been a ride and a half um yeah thank you I I became MD last summer so nearly a year ago now um I'd known about it happening for kind of a few months before that um the publisher actually told me that he'd like me to take over the kind of day-to-day running of the business on my 33rd birthday um January 2019 yeah it was good did nobody else know did you have to keep it a secret I told my husband and I think I told my best friend, but for the most part kept it a secret because I was just afraid like there was no timeline at that point. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, what if I tell people and it doesn't happen kind of thing? Because um, I was thrilled, obviously. So I just, it was, I'm not good at keeping secrets normally. So it was a good secret to keep. Um, but yeah, I think I started out actually in VIP publishing when I was 22. And um, mm-hmm. so it was really nice to come full circle that way. Um, I started out on Kiss magazine, which... Nice 
is now a website, kiss.ie, mm-hmm. which we brought back last year. Um, so that was a teenage girls magazine and it was monthly glossy and it was printed from, I think it was the year 2000 or 2001 um, until 2015. So with Kiss magazine, were you? Oh, that's lovely. Because I was a bit old for it, I think, slightly too old. Whereas I, I think you were late twenties, right? So you were the the target, exactly at the time. Yeah. So I started out there as staff writer, and I got that job by just literally chancing my arm and sending an email to the editor Susan. Um, and I was really lucky that I got my foot in the door just literally before the recession happened, and people stopped paying writers from a young age and started taking on interns. Um, so I was kind of staff from the get go and I was there for four years. I worked my way up to deputy editor and it was the best time of my life. Like it was absolutely amazing. I could be interviewing Katy Perry one week and McFly the next and Jedward the next. Jedward are good friends. They still call me Kiss Girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're good. So that it was a very important question of mine is, you know, and it may be too early to, to touch on it because you're only just talking about your, your kiss stint, but yeah. Who is the kind of biggest celebrity that you've ever interviewed or dealt with? Oh, God. Well, like a lot of them were from the Kiss days because obviously back in those days, there was no social media, really. There was was only a bit of Bebo on Facebook um, and there was no kind like artists basically had to promote their their records and their tours by doing interviews, which they don't really do anymore. They don't have to do. Um, And so, yeah, I've met Justin Bieber a few times. He was quite rude. yeah, he wasn't nice. He was very young at the time now. I met him when he was, I think, when he was 14, 15 and like 17 or 18. And by the time he was a bit older, he was kind of gamey and flirty and, you know, a bit of a, a bad boy. But um, yeah, he's probably like the most famous because everyone knows who Justin Bieber is. Yeah. My favorite person I've ever met who has actually become a friend is Marion Keys because she's my all time hero. Like, you know, when I was 11 or 12, I was reading her books under the covers at night. So my mom wouldn't see that I was reading adult content. <laughs> like, I'm just mad about her. And she's the nicest person. Like they say, never meet your heroes, but she's literally the nicest person ever and like would do anything for you and that that's kind of been the thrill of a lifetime for me but if I want if I was to meet one person like if I had you know a crystal ball and I could imagine like the dream setup it would be Chris Jenner I think that would yeah. be oh my god it'd be such a juicy interview, wouldn't it oh my god like and she's best friends with all like the real housewives of Beverly Hills which I've just been watching <laughs> since lockdown began so yeah I'd like to be in their posse for a day or two definitely nice well that's lovely because you actually interviewed Marion Keys on your stellar podcast did. yeah on the glow up yeah we have a beauty podcast and she was my dream guest and I just asked her I just pulled up her to ask her and she said yes and she was amazing uh she came into studio she's actually the kindest person ever like I've interviewed her a few times now and she keeps giving me things like she, give, she gave me an Alexander McQueen scarf once when I interviewed her just because I admired it like she's just the nicest person on planet earth and I absolutely treasure it like not only is it fab it's from my hero um so yeah she's amazing and I, I just want to be her best friend basically <laughs> well it sounds like you're edging towards that which is great yeah I have my plan um so yeah from Kiss I went freelance for a little while I like a very little while I was kind of it was about 2012 and I was thinking about moving to London and working in publishing over there but it's it's a very different landscape over there like at the time there were more magazines than there are now like a lot of those have closed which I think was short-sighted but that's my opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of, like Glamour and Company like a lot of the magazines that I loved growing up are now no longer really with us like Glamour is like quarterly now and it's just a beauty mag and um, mm-hmm. but I went over and I kind of 
I met with a lot of influential people and had loads of chats and just kind of realized that I was a bigger fish in a small pond here mm-hmm. and that I might be better off over there um, or over here, just kind of mm-hmm. going freelance and, and doing my own thing. So, yeah, I, I kind of ended up at the Irish Independent just out of nowhere. They asked me to, to cover uh, like a sick leave period of 10 weeks and I ended up staying for nearly three years. and yeah it was mad in that time I created a magazine that only lasted eight months that was I was devastated about when it closed Mm. um then I went freelance again and that's where what you mentioned all of the the writing for everybody came in I was an awful her (laughs) I literally pitched ideas to anybody and everybody and was really lucky that a lot of them were picked up um so I did that until the end of 2016 and then Michael the publisher of Stellar approached me about becoming editor and yeah it was dream come true dream job kind of going back to where I started I'd had a column in Stellar uh, in my 20s so yeah it just totally felt like coming full circle so at the start of 2017 I went back and kind of tried to to revive the title because around that time magazine sales were really flagging and like Instagram had taken off Snapchat had taken off influencer culture had taken off so it was it was a challenge yeah yeah and then uh yeah and then last year summer 2019 I took over as MD so in a relatively short space time like in 12 years it's been quite an experience (laughs) to say the least and you know when you're talking about say your career to date and you've had like some stints as freelance some working on various publications do you think that's all really important to kind of round you to become the editor that you are is in like having that time kind of grafting on your own and chancing your arm but like you said with any sort of things that might get picked up which obviously they do yeah oh absolutely like it's to me it's key like the the advice I'd give to people is to, is to kind of shop around, work around. Like I know now having worked around Dublin and, and I've worked for some British companies and even some American companies freelance. I know now that our company is amazing and yeah. top notch people and just top notch ethos. So like, yeah, I I've seen, I've seen what's out there. I've kind of worked under different editors and in this industry as well, it's all about who, you know, so yeah, like the more kind of connections that you can make and the more you can get your name and your voice out there. Absolutely. The better. Okay. So my next question was going to be around, I suppose, being enticed by doing your own business, which I suppose like you've kind of dipped your toes at by doing freelance, et cetera. You know, naturally as an editor and someone who's been involved in publications, you've probably heard stories from every kind of Tom, Dick and Harry in every industry possible about doing their own thing. Like, would you yeah. have ever been enticed by that area of maybe like thinking of your own kind of startup and going for it? Or were you always more drawn to the publication side of things? Yeah, I was always more drawn to the publication side of things. Like when you're a writer or an editor, freelance is a very, you know, it's it's not you're not it's not like you're setting up your own company. It's you're you're always working for other people. Yeah. So instead of having, for example, one editor or publisher, you have twenty. So it's a real ideas game as well. If you, if you're having a bad month and you're you're not feeling very creative and you've no ideas, then you just won't get any commissions. So it can be quite stressful. Um, mm-hmm. it can be very lucrative and it can be really exciting. Like I did some amazing features in my times freelance that you know that were brought to me so like I got to go into prisons and mm-hmm. um I got to you know work with people who were living in shelters and struggling with addiction and homelessness and it really it was really eye-opening but kind of emotionally draining at the same time and yeah. um, but it was just kind of it was an honor to be able to share people's stories as well as write about glam things that, that I like myself like makeup and you know li- lifestyle and stuff like that but yeah I think when you're a writer 
it's it's not the same as being any other kind of freelancer or entrepreneur like there's nowhere unless you're gonna you know set up your own magazine or whatever there's nowhere really to go with it in that sense um and stellar was kind of set up when I was working in case I got to see it be developed from from the ground up and mm-hmm. now uh, I think it's 12 yes 12 years later now um it'll be 12 in October so I mm-hmm. kind of feel like I've always been there with Stellar it's it's you know I feel I think all of us feel a real sense of ownership and and love for it um and then when I was in the independent and I got to create my own magazine there it was called Insider like that was an experience like no other it was yeah. incredible so um yeah like no I'm not tempted like I, I don't have an idea for a product or, or a service or anything but who yeah. knows in the next you know decades what's to come <laughs> like I said I'm only 34 so maybe I can be like you and bring out a fabulous <laughs> range of beauty products and you'll be fully paid by the time you're finished like <laughs> um so just on um that note of say those amazing stories that you got to write on behalf of people is there like and this may not be the case but is there kind of one maybe edit or piece that you would have written that you feel kind of skyrocketed your presence in publications yeah I mean there were a couple that I think I've written quite a bit about not wanting to be a mother um and I kind of I think I started writing about that when I was like 23 or 24 in Stellar that was the first time I wrote about it and at the time obviously I was very young nobody took me very seriously it was all very much you'll change your mind blah 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 but I always knew that you know I wouldn't um and it was a case of trying to convey that and then I think as I got older I'd revisit the topic but this time I'd revisit it in the Irish Independent which is obviously a huge national newspaper so that would have got a lot of attention from radio and tv and stuff so I would have gone on and discussed that on 2FM and Radio 1 and um the Today Show and the Elaine Show and stuff like that so um that was probably I'm probably known for being that wagon that doesn't want kids <laughs> but um no that that probably would have been yeah kind of my my kind of most known article but I did I did loads like and it was it was kind of three quarters telling other people's story and a quarter telling my own like I think every single writer out there wants a column and wants to be like Carrie Bradshaw and you know have this voice and their face in the paper every week and I think you know publishing has changed so much in the last few years those spaces are now kind of occupied by celebrities mm-hmm. rather than writers um, or celebrity writers like Marion Keys like authors mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's kind of it has kind of changed quite a bit but I think yeah if there was one thing if you if you google me it'll probably come up uh, loads of travel articles about New York and that I don't want kids. <laughs> Do you know what? That is true story because I did Google it. Typical. So, you know, on that topic, obviously, it's a personal thing, a personal decision, you know, whether you do or you don't. But yeah. do you find that a lot of scrutiny came with having an opinion like that? Um, do you know what? I didn't. I found more support than anything. I expected lots of scrutiny. But I think my whole point of writing about not wanting to be a parent was to normalize it. Because yeah. I think what a lot of people don't really think about is that it is a decision. It's a choice that you make in yeah. your life. It's not something that you have to do. Um, and some people, sadly, that really want to do it can't do it. So I think that was the only area that I wanted to be very careful about was okay. to not try and upset or offend anybody who was going through any struggles of their own. But yeah. just to point out that you know we're all different I've never from a child I've never been maternal I have never seen myself having a a family in that regard but that's something actually that's one part of the criticism that gets to me when people go oh do you not want a family and I'm like I have a family I have a really close family I have a husband you know it's aren't you 
Yeah, I was so close. Like our our two families are really tight. Yeah. Like we go on holidays together, and we're. I just actually came across a picture yesterday of my mother in law wearing my dad's uh, boxer shorts at the barbecue <laughs> last year. So that's how close we are. Um, so yeah, the stuff like that bothers me. But like, I think when I was writing about that stuff, the only people I really cared about, um, their take on it was my own family. Like I didn't want to upset my parents, mm-hmm. and I didn't want, and and they are the ones that get upset to them more than I do. Like they'll have my mom will have you know local people saying to her oh poor you you'll never be a granny like that's terrible she still might change her mind that kind of crack and I think a lot of people as well then like to presume that I'm um career obsessed and self-obsessed and that I just don't want to the hassle of having children but it's not that at all like it's literally just uh, something that I've never wanted the way any you know the way anyone is about about personal things to themselves so yeah I'm not a a career bitch and I'm not a a cold nasty person depriving my parents of grandchildren it's just the way I am and my husband thankfully feels the same oh that's the other thing I'm ask most what does Joe think about it and I go do you not think we talked about this extensively before getting married like he feels the same yeah that that can be difficult like farming your own life is hard just in case you know before you before you put a ring on it oh by the way oh yeah feel the same (laughs) yeah no absolutely we talked about that really early on and I don't even think it was like you know intentional I think it just came up that I just maybe I'd written about it something just came up and he was like yeah I feel the same and I was like Grant that's fine but yes Mm -hmm. like answer your question like mining your own personal life for inspiration for stories is a really difficult part of being freelance and very draining as well like there are sometimes you just the best things that you you can write about are the most personal things and mean the most to you and and that comes with its own kind of baggage yeah it's kind of like you know maybe not to the same extent but this whole you know putting your life online as an influence someone who shares or whatever it is you know you're you're totally opening yourself up to people having you know 500 million different opinions and you can never do the right thing but then you kind of have to share to create like an attachment with your followers and at the same kind of time do you know absolutely yeah no I totally get it it is and yeah once once you put yourself out there you're kind of seen as fair game to a point so you do have to develop a slightly thicker skin but it's worth it for all the the good comments that we we so easily forget about and, and the relating to people and the support that you get from people as well and the massive readership that you probably acclaim with that you know people look forward to hearing your opinions or seeing your thoughts on on various topics Hopefully. yeah <laughs> fingers crossed yeah. um, just on that note that's obviously even per- from a personal perspective but would you feel pressure as a writer and editor to have to have an opinion on say bigger topics that come up in the world that oh yeah you know like I don't know would you ever fear that perhaps your opinion isn't correct or that you may say the wrong thing or like would you second guess a lot of things or are you quite confident in that you know you should be opinionated and, and go with it yeah, I think with Stellar, our readership is very woke. It's very kind of um, modern um, demographic. It's it's quite broad. It's anything from, say, an 18-year-old up to a 60-year-old, even 70-year-olds I know read it. So I think that if you're reading Stellar in the first place, you're kind of, you're pretty liberal. You wouldn't yeah. be the most conservative of people. So I think we're, we're very careful, um, but we absolutely address all the issues. Like, for example, as we were going to press last week with this issue that's out now, um, the whole Black Lives Matter thing really kicked off 
with the protests and the riots and all of that. So we did as much as we could to address it in a short space of time. We're yeah. very like, obviously, we're actively anti-racism. Um, we the kind of one criticism we often get is that yeah, Irish media isn't very representative of mm-hmm. diversity, which I disagree with. I think there are very few high profile black celebrities or um, high profile transgender celebrities in Ireland to the point that would sell magazines. Do you know what I mean? That like you put someone on the cover and they're instantly recognizable. They're a household name or they have a huge following and people will go, oh, I love her. I'll buy that. And that's kind of a, a nationwide media problem and something that we're trying to rectify by amplifying other voices that aren't just, you know, your ordinary white gal on the street. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the only criticism that that I take to heart because it is so important, but it's also difficult from a publishing point of view to um, to kind of reach people in, in certain ways. So like Stellar is 132 pages and, uh, you know, they're very incredibly diverse. So that's something that we're, we're very aware of and uh, do our very best with. And I think in my business, as long as you know that you're doing your very best, that's that's all you can say. Do you know what I mean? It's like the, you're kind of you have restrictions and you have issues that come up. But if you're doing your very best to be as inclusive and diverse and um, to give a voice to marginalized people as possible, then then that's that's all you can do, really. And I think that's like, you know, a massive taking from this whole movement in general is, you know, you know, the the main kind of saying going around, it's not enough to be, you know, not racist but you actually need yes. to be about not being racist and actively anti-racist yeah that we're all going to to take on board and that you know once you're you're doing your steps to always be better and always be more diverse like you're yeah. saying that's half the battle do you know so- totally and you're always learning like we come from a really privileged position just naturally like we don't we don't maybe understand the privilege that comes with being white and being Irish and you know like not being marginalized just from the get-go being straight as well um, so like we we have a big feature coming up in the next issue about racism in Ireland because a lot of people like to deny that it's real and it absolutely is and you have to listen to other people's experiences to know that and in the past we've been an incredibly homophobic country which I think changed a lot with the referendum five years ago um, like we have all sorts of guests on our podcast like we drag queen last week you know we're a really inclusive title and but at the same time we do come from a place of white irishness and and being the vast majority of people in the the country so it it can be difficult to balance but yeah like i said we're doing our very best and we're very aware um of everything that's going on and we'd always speak out like when the repeal referendum was going on we spoke out in favor of it because we're for women's rights Mm-hmm. Other titles may shy away from that. They might not. They may, might not. It depends on their own kind of editorial policy. But like, rest assured, when an editor makes a decision, it's never done without a lot of thought behind it. So um, with us, it's always the decision to, to speak out rather than stay quiet. Okay, amazing. I'm sure a lot of people listening to that will feel, you know, massive amounts of comfort in that. But I think, you know, from a viewer and a reader and a known lover of Stellar that, you know, you can tell that you're a very liberal magazine within reason as in like you speak on topics that you're not going to shy away from, but you do it in a lovely way. And you've been a cover girl. You know what it's like. What is it like being a cover girl? That's something that I don't know. So bizarre. Do you know what? It's actually one of my highlights, like in a career, I think, you know, you you have this like oh my god like that would be so amazing to be on a cover but actually when it comes to fruition and I probably sound like a total you know cringe freak not at all it's amazing 
so elated. Like when you walk into a shop and you look like you have been dragged through a bush backwards. (laughs) (laughs) You see yourself on the magazine in the shop, like you're nearly mortified in case anyone puts two and two together. But it's just such an amazing feeling. Like it's Yeah, like that's something that I don't know about. So I love hearing that. That's brilliant. It's so nice. And you get like messages from people that you might have gone to like primary school with the uh, year of, but they're like oh my god this is amazing and I have to tell you so yeah it's pretty good oh it's so cool and your issue sold so well because we didn't know it was obviously the beginning of lockdown we didn't know what was going to go on but it actually sold more than a regular copy so there you go amazing and thanks to Stephanie picked up a copy he's listening to <laughs> yes thank you um okay so let's bring it back to work for a moment so kind of looking back on your career to date obviously you know we're hearing about the the massive peaks and how amazing all the achievements that you had done were and obviously lots more to come is there any kind of moment that would stick out as being a biggest challenge for you in terms oh of- yeah yeah there's a couple like first of all was uh the magazine in the independence um being discontinued after eight months that was that was a real blow to my ego and to my life because I adored it mm-hmm. um I'd had this rare opportunity really rare at the age of I think I was 27 or 28 I was young um to create a magazine from scratch that would appeal to 30 plus men and women and was a blend of everything like fashion, beauty, grooming, travel, lifestyle, celebrity, everything, music, everything, film. And it was such a challenge. It was such an amazing challenge. My God, it was the best thing ever. It was terrifying. There was lots of focus groups and the Indo is a very serious place. Like they're, you know, big money, big readership, big advertisers, all of that. Um, so being charged to do that was, the, it was the time of my life. And then there was kind of a change of personnel um, up above during the, the run of the magazine. And they just basically t- took the opinion that it hadn't been kind of like signed off fully. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the direction that the new um, people were planning on going in. So they got rid of it after eight months and they were meant to give it a year. So I thought I'd at least get the year. Okay. Um, and it was a weekly mag. So it was, it was really full on. Like I put my heart and soul into it. So I was pretty devastated when that went and they offered me another role. And I said, look, lads, I'm burnt out after that. And Mm -hmm. after, you know, the the devastation, I'm going to go freelance. And so I'd be really happy to still write for the endo, but just in a freelance capacity. So that's what I did. Um, And I did that for, God, two and a half. How long was it? Two full years anyway, maybe a little bit longer. Um, And it took a long time to kind of get over that. It was a massive blow to the ego and the self-confidence and um, just I was just yeah devo about it so, yeah. so that was the first one that kind of sticks out and then like freelancing was great I got into a groove with it um, and it was very lucrative and uh, on the surface quite successful but I was very anxious in the background and um, mm-hmm. I was not somebody who was comfortable with not knowing where my next paycheck was coming from mm-hmm. and I was lonely it was really lonely so when the the opportunity presented itself to go to Stellar and to kind of try and revive it um, and revamp it for a new audience, I took that on and I was absolutely thrilled. And I was it everything came came at once as it does, you know, in life. Like I was getting married, I was trying to buy a house, and I was uh, taking on this job all at the same time. So uh, 2017 was a wild year, and I, I don't know if I'm fully recovered from it. But yeah, it was a real challenge. Like when I took over, I kind of went back to stellar basics, and I put yeah. A-listers from around the world on the cover, 
and that was what that was the stellar that I knew kind of um, mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of very quickly became apparent that that wasn't working like the the readership had grown with the magazine and they weren't 18 to 30 anymore they were older um, and they were less easily impressed by celebrities possibly because of social media and what I realized is that whenever we featured Irish women on the cover that was really what was getting uh, the most traction and the most sales so I kind of changed tack in the autumn of that year and since then we've only featured Irish women or, or women working in Ireland and um, living and working in Ireland and since then it's been on the up so that year was a real challenge because I thought I knew it all I thought I was going back to something that was so familiar to me that you know it was like I could do it in my sleep and yeah. that wasn't the case at all like it took a lot of kind of chopping and changing and thinking and strategizing and and diversifying like we diversified into events and into our podcast and those were the things that kind of kept us going and now the magazine is selling the best it has in a long time I think in six or seven years Mm -hmm. um, which is no mean feat because a lot of other magazines have closed in that time and I'm so proud of it so I'm I'm at a peak at the moment and even with the the crisis which we all feared and was it was obviously terrible for so many people but for Mm -hmm. us we were able to keep going like we all moved our computers home with us set up Dropbox business and just Mm -hmm. went to it as, as we would with any other issue there was just there were a few minor changes, like we'd no travel, we'd no social shots. Yeah. Um, but we put in crosswords and colouring and a bit of crack and quizzes and, and that kind of thing. And we we shot yourself socially distantly before the guidelines even came in, just to be yeah. safe. Um, we were able, for our kind of middle issue in lockdown, we were able to recycle a front cover from VIP, which is our big sister magazine. Nice. And then, yeah, we shot our, our next one then socially distantly. We haven't actually had any fashion shoots, which has been strange, but we're not a fashion magazine the way other mags are like we're, we're more kind of about our features than that yeah. fashion that's just kind of an added a bit of fun um but we're going back to shooting fashion this month so I'm really excited about that we've, we've missed it yeah a lovely bit of change isn't it amazing though like you know even for us obviously because we we shot that cover social distance even prior to the actual lockdown yeah. in. but like isn't it amazing how quickly you just adapt so like oh, totally yeah your desirable office situation where everyone's working off Dropbox and laptops but like you get through it and like look oh, absolutely six years later like which is amazing and I'm so proud of how our whole company has adapted like it's been amazing like because at first we thought how the hell are we going to get through this you know VIP magazine is largely based on shoots and parties and weddings mm-hmm. and social activities so you know their their thing is doing four or five shoots a month with Irish celebrities so that was a real challenge. It really was. Like, luckily, they had someone in the can. Um, they had lovely Tara makeup. Tara Anderson and her family shot just before everything locked down. They had a couple of shoots that they'd done in New York. So they were able to get around it. We were all able to adapt. And I've just, I, I emailed everybody yesterday about coming back to the office at the end of July, start of August. And I was just saying to them, lads, I'm so proud of you all. Like, thank you so much because this could have been an absolute disaster. And thankfully, you know, professionally, it could have been a disaster. And thankfully, we've come out the other side of it much stronger, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. And I think a lot of people were kind of turned to magazines during the crisis because a they were bored and b they were accessible like you could pick them up with your grocery shop or if you're calling into center or spa or whatever um or if you're getting petrol they were they were there you know we weren't kind of entirely cut off from our clients our, our customers and yeah they were they were a distraction uh, and but also we were very 
kind of quick to alter our content. Like we didn't want to pretend that this wasn't happening. We wanted to address it straight away. So even with the issue that you're on the cover of, that was really early on, like it was very much about our new normal and here's how to kind of cope with this. So I think that spoke to people. And now my hope is just that we kind of carry those readers with us from now on and they don't forget about us when life goes back to normal. (laughs) Amazing. Well, congratulations on on how the team have managed that. And you mentioned there about how, you know, the stellar sales, for example, are on the up, which is, you know, a fantastic thing because a lot of publications have had to close, etc. Would you say kind of diversifying into events on the podcast is one of the key factors to keeping print alive like would you ever fear about the future of print or what are your thoughts on the kind of changes of technology etc that would have brought to the whole world of and the industry of beauty yeah I mean like we did fear for the future of print for a long time because it was all doom and gloom you know every year you'd see people's figures globally just going downwards and people saying oh print is dead long live digital etc but it's just like I always think of that song video killed the radio star like it's not it's not the case if you persevere and if you can keep your budgets tight like that's one thing that we really do we keep our, our outgoings you know small as small as possible we've we've teams that you know are amazing and, and work probably five or six jobs that people in say the UK do like I myself do beauty for our sister magazine TV now like we all dig in do you know what I mean yeah um but yeah, like I think it's been a few things. I think we have a lovely website, stellar.ie, which is updated daily and social media has been brilliant for feeding into that. Um, we have a, a pretty strong social media presence. Like we have 65,000 Instagram followers and they're very engaged, like super engaged, which is amazing. Um, I think we were kind of slow off the mark with getting the sites up and running. So for example, Stellar was very much print first and it's still print first. Like print is still the big daddy. It still pays the bills. Yeah. Um, but we having that kind of constant web presence and constant social presence and it being amazingly curated by our team of like their digital specialists I'm not a digital specialist by any stretch of the imagination but they are um and then yeah the podcast was kind of just something that we started doing because Valerie and I uh, wanted to do it we just wanted to talk about beauty and it's been so successful like we've 25,000 listeners a month which is incredible it's just yeah. the two of us talking to people about makeup which I never thought would take off but people love it um and then we did a couple of live events around the podcast which you were also at and yeah it was amazing that people kind of came and and spent a day with us and and took us to their hearts in such a way it's been incredible like but yeah I think it's key to diversify in any business I don't think you can ever let anything stagnate and and just keep on building and using the tools like I I used to see the internet as a threat and now I see it as like the most powerful tool in our arsenal to promote the magazine to attract readers and just to, to to use for commercial purposes as well and I also say online is great in that you get instant feedback. You know, we could yes. launch a product tomorrow and like, you know, typically, you know, maybe years ago, if the brand was live, then we would have had to wait maybe 30 days to curate data from store sales, for example. But like, yeah. I'll know straight away how happy people are or if there was an issue or anything like that, you know, because it's no, so absolutely instant in your inbox, which also means that you're... Yeah constantly on but that always on exactly but it's amazing like the the instant gratification of the internet is brilliant and then we also have the slow burn of the mag so I think we're really lucky with that as well like we can see what people think but you know what's interesting is that often 
a lot of social media sentiment doesn't translate into the data of sales. And, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, which is what I always say. So, like, there is a lot of posturing online, I find. And uh, I think often people then don't put their money where their mouth is and then buy the magazine. But you look, yeah. it's all part and parcel of it. And it's for me, as as the MD of the company, it's all about trying to, to bridge the gap between digital and print and us all to be one big happy family. Yeah, amazing. So on that note of you, Miss MD, um, <laughs> like, you know, regardless of being actually, you know, MD across VIP publishing as an actual business, but say you as a person in that role and um, yeah. naturally like you've got employees below you, you have people that you have to look after, you've got a responsibility for, as well as say writing features, like you said, beauty for TV now and overseeing yeah. the editions of Stellar. What would you say is the toughest part of being in that role that maybe you weren't really aware of kind of prior to stepping up or is there one? Yeah, I'd say budgets, to be honest. Um, I, I would always like more money. I would always like more resources. I'd always like more staff um, just to be able to to do our, to make our ideas fly as much as possible. So yeah, tight budgets are are a thing in publishing across the board. You know, we're not Vogue. We don't have their, uh, their resources, sadly. But yeah, other than that, like I absolutely love the job. I I think I was really ready for it when it came along because I was I was kind of already the person in the office that people came to when they had a problem or or you know they if they wanted answers about anything they'd ask me. Um, so I, I love that. I love the the human side of it. I love like being. I, I'm kind of like the good cop in the office. Um, and Michael, who's the brilliant owner and publisher of VIP, he's he's been running it since twenty twenty one years ago. Um, he's I wouldn't say he's the bad cop, but he's like you know he's the, the more disciplinarian one. Um, but he he's amazing. Like he's a barrister as well. Oh, um, so yeah so he's you know he practices law on the side and I think it was it was a big deal for him to ask me to to step in and kind of run the day-to-day and, and deal with all the, the daily queries and well, and yeah. the printers and the distributors and all of that Um, so I'm really grateful to him and and I, I hope he knows that but I'm really grateful that he trusted me with his business which is a huge thing but I think we've known each other for 12 years now and we get on like a house on fire and I'm I'm just I'm thrilled with it I hope he thinks I'm doing a good job I presume so he hasn't said otherwise he probably would he does um well yeah I think budgets is something that would translate across to any business you know regardless you're in and you know apart from like you know always wanting to kind of stretch the budget it's also so important you know for any businesses listening to this which they know themselves that you keep such a close eye on your business and your cash flow which is something that's come up with various podcast guests that we've had along the way because essentially like you know that's your earnings, they're your capital, that's the future of the business. And once that yeah. goes, then, you know, not not the best, not the best moment. Yeah, no, the numbers are the bit that makes my head hurt. I'm not a numbers person, I'm a words person. So I'm happy that we have a brilliant accounts team and Michael himself is very business-minded in, in in regards to the numbers. So, the, you know, it's all about playing to your strengths as well. Like there'd be no point in putting me in charge of profits and losses because they'd be wrong. So <laughs> I mean, put me in charge of the people, yeah. that's absolutely fine. Put me in charge of the creative stuff or, you know, like getting people to brainstorm or like one thing I think I do well is that I just, I'm good at kicking people up the arse. I'm like, oh, you've been talking about wanting to start this podcast for months, just do it. Yeah, You know, yeah. you want to do this event, just do it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we, we play to our strengths. Absolutely. Like I'm by no means alone in any of this. And on the note that you said earlier about not being totally obsessed with work with some people would make the assumption of, yeah, you think you manage the whole famous work-life balance well? 
Yeah, I do. Actually, I'm really lazy by nature. <laughs> People get annoyed when I say that sometimes, but it's true. I am like I'm a sloth. I love lying down, watching telly. Um, like I literally have to. I got a Fitbit in lockdown, and I have to force myself to get my ten thousand steps a day. Like I'm not one of these people that I think other people perceive I am, where I'm flitting about all the time. Um, so I think my work life balance is pretty good. Um, I don't have children, so I don't have to factor that in. I'm an absolute awe of parents who do. I don't. I literally don't know how they do it. Like I don't. I get my eight hours sleep a night. You know, I get my me time and I get my work time. And I'm always on in the sense that I'm always looking on our social media channels and I'm I'm always checking my email. But like it's it's not. You know, I'm not saving the world and I'm not you know working with stock markets or you know waiting for something to crash or whatever. It's all very manageable. So yeah, like I, I think my husband is more of a workaholic than I am. He works in IT um, okay. and I'm the one that has to, to tell him to stop working in the evening sometimes and feed me because it's like he'd work all the night long if he could if he was left. I love it and feed me thank you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. um, so for anyone listening to this who maybe has you know maybe they're already working in editorial kind of publications or perhaps they're just looking to progress the career ladder which you have obviously so expertly done what would be your top three tips to anybody listening? Oh God, it's so funny when you say stuff like that because I don't think I've expertly done anything. I think everything's just happened. But I guess I'll take some credit for it. (laughs) I think, first of all, if if you're writing and you're feeling at a a dead end, just write for yourself, just write. Like, I, I, I don't even know. I used to write like a blog for on Bebo I did like there wasn't even a blogging function on it I just used to write these posts um and I you know, you know I wrote a blog on uh, on WordPress and I used to write a column for the Trinity News when I was in college about it was it was wasn't plagiarism at all it was called sex and the students um, and yeah I think if you're passionate about something just do it like just keep doing it for yourself if for nobody else and in time when you've built up kind of a portfolio of displaying who you are and what you're all about it'll speak for itself Mm-hmm. Um the other thing is to uh yeah, it is all about who you know. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise, especially in Ireland where the industry is so tiny. You know yourself, we know everyone, like yeah. everyone knows everyone and everyone knows everyone's business. Um and so it's important to not be an asshole, just be nice to people. Yeah. Um you know, they always say be nice on the way up. I just think be nice all the time. Yeah. Um and yeah, like just use your use your kind of relationships as best you can like don't be afraid to ask for favors or ask for help because you'll find that most of the time people are really open to it um and yeah just kind of do your bit to support other people like i we pride ourselves on supporting irish businesses and irish women and irish entrepreneurs um and that's what our readers like as well they're i think irish people are really nosy and we just love hearing about other irish people and what we're doing so um yeah so be nice all the time. It's all about who you know and just write for the love of it, not not with any kind of specific goal in mind. Because I find that if you're if you're trying to plan too much, like I don't I don't like this kind of five year plan stuff. Yeah. Like fair enough in business you have to have a strategy. But I mean if you're if we're talking abstractly, like there's no goals that you have to hit by a certain mm-hmm. time in your life no rules about any of it um so I think just always have the bigger picture in mind and and I'm not an airy fairy person when it comes to like visualizing and stuff but it doesn't hurt to have like you know for for me for you know in the future I'd love to be an author as well like on the side <laughs> if that's possible um like I want to write books I want to there's so much more I want to do but this is kind of what I what I adore and what I'm good at and for as long as there is magazines publishing I think I'll be involved in them in some way 
Amazing. And just to make anybody feel better, um, I don't even have a five-year plan for my business. So maybe that says... You don't need one. You don't need one. Roll with the punches. Like five years ago, could you have imagined the landscape that we have now? No, not at all. Exactly. It's crazy. So I think have have goals, of course, but I think a lot of people in business get caught up with not hitting targets and not reaching certain milestones by a certain point and then they let that psych them out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's you have to be flexible. Like you said, adaptability is key. You mm-hmm. have to be able to roll with the punches. You have to be able to to see what's coming down the road and, you know, adapt to it, make it make it work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Vicky. That's been totally inspiring. And I'm sure there's I love that for for people um, to take into their own kind of work lives, general lives or aspirations that they might have themselves. And um, we always like to finish with a quick fire round. So just for a bit of crap, oh I'm going to okay. five <laughs> questions ask you. No thoughts. First thing comes into your head, bang, door. Okay. Okay. Right. So first question is, if you could be any job in the world, if they're all paid the same, what would you be? And you can't be what you are now. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. Uh, a zookeeper. Okay. Did you know yeah. that actually there's such a big queue to get into the zoo now that it's reopened that you can't get oh, in? Oh yeah. No, you can't. It's uh, We live beside the Phoenix Park and we walk in it every day and I'm just yeah, so jealous of everyone in the queue. I need to put my name down or something and get in there. Yeah, zookeeper, definitely. Okay, zookeeper, nice. Vicky Natara. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question. What is the last thing that you Googled? Oh, God. Um, I think... <laughs> Oh God! Oh, I do. I, I googled what happened to a certain person that was on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, because <laughs> <laughs> that is my life at the moment. All I watch. Yeah, that is so important information. Like you need to know. So important. I love it. Um, okay, number three. What is your most used emoji? Oh, the sideways crying, laughing one for sure. I love that. That's my number one as well. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> Number four, as long as you're comfortable sharing and you may not have a bucket list, but just a general thought, what's one thing that is on your bucket list? I want to live in New York City for a period of time. Okay, nice. Yeah, not necessarily forever, just at some point in my life, whether I want to move there and write a book or just, yeah, I want want to experience living in New York before I die. Okay. And does your husband feel the same? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Um, Okay. And the last one that I want to finish on. So obviously the nature of this podcast, it's a work in progress. And so I like to ask each guest, whether it's from a life perspective or a business perspective or career perspective, what is your current work in progress? Oh God, myself, I guess. Is is that everyone's answer? Like, I think everyone is a work in progress. I think I've got to a point now, I'm in my mid thirties. I know myself pretty well, but always learning, always adapting, always kind of, um, trying to branch out in different directions and yeah I think does everyone say that do you know what the the, the answers are so varied and that's what I love about it um you literally could get someone who's working on a specific project you get someone who, right um, oh god am I very vain saying that I should have said <laughs> magazines <laughs> no like but like I feel so tied to my work that it's all it's all wrapped up in one you know like it's when I when I think about myself I think about myself which is might be a bad thing it might be why kind of I took it so hard when my old magazine went away Um, it's very much part of my identity so when I say I'm working on myself I'm working on every facet of myself which is my relationships my work all of it my body (laughs) my hair extensions (laughs) yeah 
my health you know it's something that's something that's become really apparent to me lately is is how much I want to be a healthy person so yeah I'm always working on that as well I feel like lockdown and this you know not to take away from obviously how it has massively affected and upturned people's lives and not to yeah as far as that at all but for me personally from lockdown because obviously I wasn't affected by the virus I don't know anybody close to me that was thank yeah, you we were all safe and sound but it's totally changed it's like made me live a normal life and this sounds totally. so clear, but like I would always eat in the go I'd always stay in the office really late I would always make an excuse for not being able to go to the gym because I was working and it was all work 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 whereas now I'm like take no excuse do an exercise eating at home which sounds so trivial but no, it's, it's yeah I feel the same I think I was always prioritizing work and being busy and you know yourself in in Dublin you're always flitting from event to event and it sounds yeah. very glamorous but it's not it's it can really burn you out so I think lockdown's been brilliant for me like I think I look healthier I think I, I am healthier mm-hmm. I've been you know being active getting my steps in working out and um, looking after my skin like silly things like that but I've I've come out of it feeling a lot more positive and also knowing that we can handle this mad change that was thrust upon us as a, as a, a world is remarkable. Like it's, you know, it, it just goes to show, I think we'll look back at this and see it as a real period of growth and of learning. Like as, as Kylie Jenner would say, it's been the year of realizing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gospel according to Kylie, I love it. Vicky it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining thank me you. and I look forward to seeing your real face soon yes very soon thanks Amy so that's a wrap for this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in and listening along and I really hope that you enjoyed it don't forget to please rate review or subscribe on your usual podcast links and I'll see you next time